Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. Just a couple of things to pack on the Prophecy Update. And uh, if you're watching the line, we thank you for joining us. And just before we get into sermon, let me discuss two things I want to point your attention to. One is what happened in Israel, and then I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with John MacArthur's church and the city of L.A. and how that makes an impact on us. So first thing is with Israel. Israel cuts a deal with the United Arab Emirates and gets into a friendly position with them, and it has a twofold prophetic aspect to it, and I want to bring that out. When you see that happening, well, you have to understand what Israel gave up to do a deal with the United Arab Emirates. This Trump peace plan um, that he put on the Middle East and Israel that Trump wanted them to accept ended up being a peace plan that should not be celebrated but should be discouraged because it forces Israel to give up land and creates Jerusalem basically under control of both parties, which is wrong and breaks the Abrahamic covenant. So we don't agree with that. But Israel was supposed to annex and take in parts of Judea and Samaria from what we call the West Bank. It's not the West Bank, it's Judea and Samaria. And and Israel was supposed to bring that in as part of that deal. Well, in order to cut a deal with the United Arab Emirates, Israel took that off the table and would not annex Judea and Samaria back into its own country. So basically... Israel was willing to give away that land back to the Palestinians living in the West Bank. That's wrong. Israel should not do that. And anytime you divide the land, whether it's the United States or Israel themselves, they're coming under the curse of the Abrahamic covenant, and that doesn't bode well for Israel or anyone else that tries to divide the land. So, That's one aspect of it. So we disagree with that as from a prophetic standpoint. The second standpoint is this. This is curious. They do a deal with the United Arab Emirates, and they're now friendly. And you've noticed that Saudi Arabia is somewhat friendly to Israel now, other than these other crazy countries living around them. That figures into the Gog of Magog invasion that's predicted. Israel will one day be attacked by a Russian-led confederation, including Iran, Turkey and other parts of uh, Africa like Libya and Sudan. Well, anyway, they will be attacked. But Ezekiel mentions in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that there are other people involved that sit on the sidelines and watch this thing play out and don't get involved because they're either neutral on the situation or they're somewhat, I guess, friendly or whatever to, to Israel. Ezekiel mentions that the young lines of Tarshish and Sheba and Dedan sit back and protest it, but they don't get involved. Now, the young lines of Tarshish, Tarshish was Spain and Western Europe. And so the young lions that come from that are the countries that birthed out of Western Europe, which would include the United States. So if anywhere in Scripture that we're mentioned, it would be the young lions of Tarshish. We're part of those young lions. Well, part of the young lions, they're with Sheba and Dedan. Sheba and Dedan are the peninsula of Saudi Arabia. Dedan is the upper part, and Sheba is the lower part. 
Well, guess where the United Arab Emirates is? In the lower part of Sheba. So, we know from what Scripture says that the young lions of Tarshish and Sheba and Dedan, instead of getting involved in protecting Israel, they take a more of a neutral stance. They're friendly to Israel, but they won't get involved to protect Israel. Well, folks, that's one of the players. And so all these pieces of the puzzle seem to be lining up and the players are getting in place for this to go down. And so this next election, too, is going to be very important because we appreciate Trump being pro-Israel. But I can tell you this, if you get someone else in there, I can already tell you where they stand on Israel. They do not support Israel. They think Israel is an apartheid state and doesn't have a right to exist and... That will be the turning point for the United States if that happens because that's when the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant is removed from us. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And if we turn our backs on Israel, even though we take a neutral stance, we're just not going to get involved, then we will pay a price for that spiritually because we should be protecting Israel and coming to their aid and help. But Scripture predicts we don't. So another piece of the puzzle got in place. Okay, now let me switch gears. The second thing to be, be watchful is what's going on with John MacArthur down there in L.A. And why, why is that? Because he's doing exactly what we're doing here. We're not supposed to be meeting. We're actually doing a semi-underground thing right now. That being the case, MacArthur did the same thing. But MacArthur's a tall nail, and the state officials will go after the tallest nails and hammer them. So MacArthur has service. He has about 3,000 people in his service in L.A. And uh, like I told you last week, the city sent people to shut him down, and his security prevented them from coming in. And so the mayor of L.A., Garcetti, and these other crazy politicians, leftists, issued either fines, $1,000 a day, or jail time for MacArthur or whatever. And we've been watching that, how that plays out. Well, this week... MacArthur had hired two high-powered attorneys, one that actually represents Trump, I believe, and I can't remember the other one, but they're very high-powered. Those two attorneys are now defending MacArthur, and they went before another court, and they went before a judge. That judge ruled in MacArthur's favor, saying the state and the city of L.A. has no right to tell the church they can't meet, which was a win. That's great. We celebrate that because that helps us in our situation, Okay. So you start getting precedent, and you want that saying, well, they did it. Well, how come we can't do it? But as I read reports, let me ask you this question. Do you think Garcetti and these city officials, these leftists, are going to let that lie? No. So what they're doing now, even though the judge ruled in MacArthur's favor and in the church's favor, these crazy leftists who hate the church are trying to find other ways to get MacArthur. They're going to go around that protection and find something else they can get him on. And their lawyers are working day and night to figure out how to shut down the church. So I tell you that to understand, this is not just a simple, you know, uh, we're worried about the coronavirus. This is an attack on the church itself. These people want the church shut down. That's their real intent. Because if it really was health reasons, then they should shut down the bars. They should shut down the liquor stores. They should shut down the Walmarts and the Costco's of the world. They should shut them all down. But no, they don't, right? And they let those things keep happening 
but they want the church shut down. So I'm telling you, keep watching what MacArthur and what's going on down there because it will then find its way to us. So that's the test case right now. And so, um, again, it just shows you their agenda. And no matter what happens, we'll figure things out. If we have to go completely underground, we'll go completely underground. No problem. We'll figure it out. You know? And, you know, and that if we have to return to house churches, so be it. That's what they did in the first century, and they've done throughout the ages. So, so hey, whatever comes our way, we're ready for it. So, anyway, that's the issues we're having. And this lends itself in these, these things we're watching unfold in our lives and around the world as hindrances. They are trying to hinder us from worshiping God. Okay? And that leads into what we're studying in Exodus about the plagues. And I, the plagues are fascinating because it's, you drill down in them, and man, it has a message for us today. So I've entitled the message in Exodus 9, Overcoming Hindrances, because we are currently facing this right now. I mean, think about this this morning. You don't know the backstory, but it was so difficult for our sound and audiovisual guys to get going. There's a lot of things that happen to make this all work. And they were having disruptions. And then the power shuts off all of a sudden. That's like par for the course around Rock Harbor for some reason. We were always having difficulties. But why does God do that? Why do the Christians who are the most sold out for the Lord have the most difficult life? You ever wonder that? You notice the Laodicean Christians are on easy street, man. They're just sliding by and things are great. They're having a great time. But you and I who try to serve the Lord as faithfully as we possibly can, it seems like every time I turn around, there's something I got to deal with. And that's how our church is typically. And I'm sure that's how your lives are becoming in these days. It's just difficult. And why is God doing that? So what I want to do is capitalize on what Moses is doing. I want to take it from his perspective and understand what Moses is going through. Moses is getting prepared by going through the hindrances of Pharaoh, being prepared to eventually be the main leader of Israel, not only in the Exodus, but when he issues the law for the rest of his life. Moses will be the man. And he will have to hear the grumblings and the complainings and the hindrances from his own people all his life to the very end to where he gets so mad at the hindrances, it costs him being able to see the promised land because he just loses it, man. He just can't take it anymore. He's at the end of his life. He strikes the rock twice. He can't take it anymore. So God is using Pharaoh and this whole situation to prep Moses for that period of time. So, what I want you to start thinking about, and put your, yourself in Moses' shoes, you're going to do a task where every time you do it, you hit a brick wall with the person. That Pharaoh says no, his heart is hard, and Moses, what does he do? He just keeps going back, keeps going back, over and over again. What is that teaching Moses? It is teaching them how to be strong in the Lord and to keep trusting and fight through the hindrances. And what God is doing right now to all of us, as you're seeing the world put hindrances in front of our lives, barriers, preventing you from having a normal life, preventing you from coming to church, all this other junk, your kids can't go to school, your job disrupted, they laid you off, hindrances, hindrances. Because here's the deal, God has the will of God for you, you're trying to achieve it, 
and you got enemies that are going to hinder you. That's what Pharaoh represents to Moses. He's an enemy that's hindering Moses, hindering Israel. And so when you look at this situation, I want you to put yourself in that situation and say, am I going through that right now? I know what the will of God is. I know what he wants from me. But boy, is it hard to get there. I have to push through things. I have to go around things to do it. But why is God doing that? He wants us to be prepared for the next season of life. And I'm going to tell you what. The next season of life is not going to be a cakewalk. I'm praying for the rapture to happen soon. No doubt about that, man. I'm ready to go. Bags are packed. I can be ready to go to the moon in 30 minutes. I'm ready. Right? And I'm sure you are too, man. I'm sick and tired of this nonsense. I'm corona fatigued, uh, as they say. But what if the Lord tarries? What if the Lord delays the rapture? Because we're only promised to be raptured prior to the tribulation. What if he allows us to see more? Why would he do that? Well, it is, is in order to build us up, to strengthen us, to increase our faith. Well, guess what? That means the road will be rocky. That means our lives are going to be disrupted, and we have to be able to navigate through that. And that's what he's doing for Moses. That's what he's going to do for us. So now let's jump into the adversity that Moses is dealing with, see how he deals with it, and see what the Lord's trying to do, and the message the Lord's saying, not only to the world, but to us, okay? So in chapter 9 of Exodus, we're going to be looking at verse 1. We'll start there. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go, and still hold them. Let's stop right there and, and focus on the words and the phrase, still hold them. There's the hindrance. Pharaoh is the hindrance. Pharaoh is holding them back from serving the Lord and doing the great commission that Israel is supposed to do, to be a light to the Gentiles. Pharaoh is preventing that. He is the stumbling block. He's the problem. Okay, so I want you to think about this. Who is or what is the Pharaoh in your life that's preventing you from accomplishing the will of God? Is it Satan and demons? Is it people at your work? Is it your own family members that are preventing you from doing the will of God? You have to figure out who the hindrance is. And I hate to tell you this, but most of the time, the hindrances come from your own family. Okay? It comes from your own family, typically. So here's what I want you to see. I want you to see this, this picture here. This is a picture of our lives sometimes. You know where that road goes. You know what the end is because you know the will of God. But then these things are placed in front of you. Your task is not to sit there in the fetal position in the corner sucking your thumb saying, well, I got a boulder in my place, in my path. I can't go anywhere, so I can't accomplish the will of God. No, no. Your job is to figure out how do I get past that. Do I start hitting it with a hammer and break it down? Do I go on the left side? Do I go on the right side? Do I climb over it? Or maybe I climb under it. But I've got to figure out a way to get past that. That's what God is doing. He will allow that to say, do you have enough faith to trust me to push past that, get around it in your life? And unfortunately, what you're watching in Christendom in America is 
a governor, some crazy tyrant governor has made an edict, whether it's in Minnesota or Michigan or California or wherever, saying you can't worship. And you know what the church has done? Okay, okay, I'm just going to sit back and take a vacation because the governor told me I can't worship. So they look at that boulder and they just sit. But there's a remnant of churches saying, I don't care what's in front of me. I know what the will of God is, and I'm going to push through that. I'm going to figure out a way past that. And so there's a remnant of believers that do that. But I'm telling you, the majority of people don't do that. They see a boulder and say, that's too big for me. Even on a personal level. You know, the funny thing is God will show you and me issues in our lives. And it will be a big boulder like that on a personal level. And you're like, I don't know if I can tackle that. I got this big boulder, and I don't know if I even want to dig into that one. And so you know what a lot of people do? They bury the boulder. Pretend it's not there. Deny it. Rationalize it. I can live with that. That's okay. And God's saying, I need you to get that out of your life. I need you to heal that. I need you to push past that in your life. And so some people do, and they get the boulder out, and they're free. Some people don't. And they live with that and say, well, that's as far as my Christian life is going to go. I'm hit the ceiling, and I'm okay. I can live with that boulder. No. No. That is wrong. If the Lord has revealed something to you in your personal life, he says, I want this out of your life, your job is to figure out how to get it out of there. The Apostle Paul had a lot of hindrances. He pushed through them. He was beat, bit by a snake, imprisoned. You know the thing. And Paul just kept going for it, going for it until he finally got his head cut off. He just wouldn't stop. Anyway, verse 3. Behold the hand of the Lord. And that phrase right there means that before God might have used secondary means like angels to do the plagues like he does in the book of Revelation. But now when it says the hand of the Lord, it means that the Lord himself is now going to issue the plague. Not a secondary source like an angel. It's him right now. So now it's, it's getting personal. Okay? And he goes, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, and on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep. A very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the, the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Please note that, again, it's not that I'm repeating myself, it's that because every plague, God will make a distinction between Israel and the Egyptians. And I don't want you to ever forget that, and apparently God doesn't want us to forget that. The principle is found in 2 Peter 2, 9, and it's this. Even though a country or a nation or a culture might be having judgment put on them, God can separate his believers away from it. So let's pretend the election goes crazy. And you get in there, and there's some crazy people who hate Israel. Okay? They're going to turn their back on Israel. Well, you know that's going to bring the wrath of God because of the Abrahamic covenant on the United States. And again, this is all hypothetical. Question. If the wrath from God because of the Abrahamic covenant comes on our nation, will you be spared? Yes. Because you're a believer, you support the Abrahamic covenant, and God can separate you out. That's how he works. That's how he does things. And I don't want you to forget that because, folks, the Romans 1 judgment is already happening to America and the world. They're being given over to their craziness. 
This is, this, is, this is insanity what we're watching, right? And they're giving over to it. That doesn't mean that you're going to be given over to it either. I'm not saying life will be easy. I'm just saying you're spared from wrath. You're spared from God's judgment. And he will see you through. You have to know that going forward. Every believer needs it because you have to have that confidence. Because a lot of believers are scared right now. They're afraid that something's going to happen to them. Anyway, verse 5 says this. For the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. Now, here's the interesting thing. Pharaoh was given a choice in some of the earlier plagues to name the time. And if he named the time, then it would stop. And he did. And Moses stopped it. Now, because Pharaoh's heart is continuing to grow harder, God's saying, I'm taking you out of the equation. I'm going to name the time, and I'm going to do business at that time, so prepare yourself. Now, here you have right now the the ten plagues in front of you. What I want you to understand, like I mentioned last week, is they're coming in sets of three plus the last one. So the first set, the blood, the frogs, and the gnats, or the lice, is going to hit their personal lives and making the Egyptians' lives harder. It's not life-threatening, but it makes their life harder. Now, when you look at the flies and then you have the the attack on the livestock and then you're going to have the attack on humans with the boils, you're now affecting the Egyptian economy. Now, that's what we're going to focus in on. And and, and I, I will mention this. The last one on the boils right there, it also not only hits the economy, it hits the medical industry of Egypt. I'll get to that one. Let me explain this. In an agrarian society, you're going to have three levels of the economy. So this is where when you drill down into the plagues, you have to see what God is trying to do in the plagues. You just can't just take it and say, well, you hit all the livestock and you just move on. What's the message in hitting the livestock? What area of the economy is that? Okay. So with the flies, and in even the previous plagues, like the water turned to blood, the flies are corrupting the land of Egypt. And even the Nile being corrupted with blood. So what's that? In an agrarian society, you have natural resources. The natural resources are the land and the water. You have to have that for an agrarian society for agriculture, for livestock, and everything. So God has already hit the natural resources. He's hit it. Isn't it funny? God has allowed these crazy leftists to get into our economy like the Sierra Club or these radical environmentalists who make rules that disallow us from using the natural resources we have in the United States. Can't frack. We don't want to drill oil anymore. All this other junk. They have prevented us from using the natural resources of the United States. And by the way, if the election goes the other way, you're going to see more of that. These crazy, radical earth worshipers are doing this. It's pantheism. Okay, so already in our first stage of the economy, we've already been hit with our natural resources. People are not allowing it to happen. Okay, when you move into this next one where he's going to hit the livestock, This is the second tier of an agrarian society. You have to have the natural resources, but then you have to have the tools for the natural resources. So the livestock would be considered the tools of of the natural resources. So, you know, let me put it this way. In a modern-day term, you would think about factories. You think about anything that takes a raw material and creates a commodity. Again, this is just economy 101. 
So, you know, with the, 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 the cattle you, and, and the, the livestock, you eat them, you take their fur and their wool, and there's all kinds of things you do with that kind of agrarian society, and then plus the farming that comes from it all, too, as well. And so, basically, in this level of the disease of the livestock, God is hitting the tools of the Egyptians. Okay? Now, what do you mean? How do I put this in modern terms? In modern terms... It would be like God hitting all of the manufacturing of a country. All of the factories, all of the places that manufacture things, whether it's clothing, food, all these kinds of things. He's hitting the manufacturing of the raw materials. And yet, yes, even going to the point of the retail stores and going to restaurants who serve you the commodity of food from the natural resources. Wait. Wait a second. We've already been hit by people limiting natural resources. We've already now been hit economically by people basically shutting down our factories, our manufacturing. I've talked to many of you, you can't find products, can you? Whatever the product is, it's, you can't find it anymore. Do you see the parallel? I hope you do, because I do not want you to walk away and not connect the dots. Folks, I'm not saying the ten plagues are happening in the United States. I'm saying a pattern of judgment is happening to the United States and the world. And it's the same pattern I saw in Egypt. He's hitting the economy. And he's hitting it in all three locations. Because when he hits them with the boils... Guess what in an agrarian society you need? Remember House on the Prairie? You got to have people to work the farm. You got to have people to work the livestock and do all the things, sun up to sun down. You got to have that going. But what happens when the people have sores that they can't walk and they can't function? Then what do you do? Guess what? Make another parallel. What if you have people telling you, you can't return back to work? The schools are not going back. Kids are not going back. The offices are closed. The restaurants are closed. You have a population that might as well have boils on them because they can't work. Oh, my goodness, I'm seeing a parallel. Do not think for a moment this is an accident or a coincidence. If you study the plagues, oh, my goodness, the same things happen to the United States. What does that mean? What were the purpose of the plagues? To wake the Egyptians up before it's too late. And the same thing can be said about the United States and the rest of the world. These judgments on the economy is to wake people up. Nothing wakes a person up better than getting into their wallet. Nothing. Unfortunately, it takes that. But that's what we're seeing. Now, I want you to think about the theological implications on all of this. This is an attack on fallen angels, okay? This is an attack on the fallen angels and the demons that the Egyptians worshipped. They had gods for everything, gods for livestock. And, and truly, they were worshipping real entities, real spirit creatures. Some of them were by the name of Hathor, that was the cow goddess. You usually had a depicted with a cow head and a and a female body, and then there was uh, uh, Minevia, uh, there was Ammon, and Ta, Ptah, 
uh, and these, you know, had the head of bulls typically, and the bull was reserved for sacred worship. Now, when you see that bull there, I want you to think about something. This was the apis bull, and this was worshipped as much as a pharaoh is, okay? So in Memphis, not, not in, in the United States, the Memphis in Egypt, this is where the heart of worship was, is in Memphis. And they had the apis bull. This bull was so sacred that when it died, they would actually mummify it and, and build a place for it, just like they would a pharaoh. It's crazy. They worshipped the bull, okay? And... Uh, if you go to Egypt today and you go on one of these tours, I wouldn't recommend going to Egypt right now, but if you go to Egypt in one of these tours, if you go into Memphis and different areas, what you'll see is a lot of mummified bulls all over the place, man. And they were doing this forever. And so here's the deal. You might be saying, what is the big deal about the bull? Yeah, I get it that the bull represented a fallen angel. It represented uh, you know, a demon type of, of, of creature. And remember, Israel carried this apis idea out. Remember, what did they make when Moses was gone? A golden calf? That bull thing was drilled into their head. Okay, but here's the question. So what? What am I to take from this? Okay, they worship the bull. No, 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 no. It's what the bull represented is where you want to key in on. The bull represented their economy, just like the Nile did. So God is not only attacking a fallen angel, which probably looks like a bull. A lot of fallen angels, remember, have mixtures of animals. Just like the cherubim that guard the throne. If you look at them, they have a mixture of animals. And so it's probably a good bet that the fallen angel they're worshiping has cow parts. And, and remember, some of the cherubim have hoofs. They're not, they're not, they don't all look like humans. They're all a mixture of animals. Anyway... The bull then represented their economy, and it was sacred to them. Basically, what I'm saying is their economy was sacred to them. Their economy was a god unto them. Now, Bridget, today, part of the liability of how well America has done in the free market system, which they're trying to shut down, is the temptation to become worldly and to put all your stock in money. And that's the predominant God of America is money and materialism. That is the bull that America worships. Like I've told you before, our missionaries are actually praying for us so that we don't get caught in the temptation of materialism. That's what Steve Kern tells us. And if they see from the outside, it must be going on. It's very obvious to them what's happening in America. So basically... We're doing the same thing. Here's an interesting coincidence, and I th I'm all I'm going to say it's just a coincidence. And I don't think someone who did this had the intention of doing it, but I thought, this is very coincidental. What do we call our stock market when it's going up? Bull market. We call it, when it's going down, a bear market. We've had several bull markets since the Great Depression. I can't remember. There's 15 bull markets since the Great Depression. I can't remember how many. But that's, it's this upward trend. Confidence is high. And everybody starts making a lot of money in the stock market or whatever, right? And so people love a bull market. The image in front of Merrill Lynch is what? A bull. 
I, I'm not saying that Merrill Lynch decided I'm going to put the, the apis bull from Egypt in front. He didn't do that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, isn't it a coincidence that when we say our economy is good, we're having a bull market? Something to that, I think. Because it goes all the way back to Egypt. The bull represented their economy. So guess what God does? Boom! I'm going to hit the bull. In effect, I'm hitting your economy at the manufacturing level. So now if you go to this and you put it in modern-day terms, is our manufacturing, our retail, our turning the raw materials into a commodity that people will buy, is it being hit? Yes. And it's supposed to wake us up. Verse 6. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all, now Hebrew word is kol, and I think I translated it for you on the text. It means all sorts of, or form, uh, or from all of Egypt. It's not all the livestock, because you'll see in previous plagues, or other plagues after this, that there are more livestock that get hurt. So it's, it's kind of, it, the Hebrew doesn't mean 100%, it means a great majority, is what I'm trying to say. But the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Did you catch that? There's that more of that separation. Here's the deal. None of us are going to get rich in the days ahead, okay? You're going to lose money. You have to prepare for that. That's what's going to happen to our economy because we're going digital. Nothing's stopping that. And they're going to do a new value system based on that digital economy. So whatever you had in the bank is going to lose its value. That's coming. And plus, you can't just keep putting money fiatly into our system and, and monetizing our debt and, and, and doing quantitative easing because it'll bring down the value of the dollar, which they're doing, which is going to crash the dollar, and it's going to be useless. You're going to end up with the Weimar Republic where you're taking wheelbarrows of, of, uh, of, of German money to buy a loaf of bread. Your dollar won't mean anything anymore. But at the same time, look what this passage says. God's hitting the economy. It's tanking, but the Israelites are being preserved in the economy. So here's the, the, the takeaway about the separation. Yes, our, our value of our system might go down and it might affect us. But at the end of the day, it says in Scripture as a promise, my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. End of story. At the end of the day, my wants might be taken away, but my needs will be met by the Messiah. End of story. You do not have to fear if our economy tanks. Somehow, some way, God will make a way for you economically. He's not abandoned you. And we have to know that going into the days ahead. Just like what he did right, right here with, the, with the, uh, the Hebrews. Verse 7. Then Pharaoh sent, and he went to scout it out. And indeed, not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. So it, 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 it verified it. So it's a localized plague. It's not a natural occurrence. It's localized. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. Of course not. That's who you're dealing with. You're dealing with Nancy Pelosi. You're dealing with Chuck Schumer. You're dealing with uh, the Mayor Garcetti in L.A. Their hearts are hard. They're bent on the destruction of the church. So the idea that I can sit and have tea with a, a, you know, the Ayatollah Khomeini or, or Gavin Newsom and the idea that we're going to sit down and talk this thing out, it's crazy at this point. Their hearts are hard. They're not coming back because they don't want to come back. They're bent on this. And so you've got to understand the spiritual dynamics that we're involved in today. 
Let me ask you this. You think, even if Trump won, that that changes anything in the Senate and the House? No. That's all corrupted. Have you noticed, I mean, not, not to get into politics, but have you noticed both sides are useless? Both sides, absolutely useless. I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm making a spiritual statement. Because they all have the same agenda. That's why you don't see anyone standing up to the shenanigans that's going on. We're basically a one-party system, and that party is ungodly. Do not put your faith in these politicians. They have sold out. They've been bought off. The only one you put your faith in is Jesus, and that's it. That's it. So we, so we now go into the sixth plague. This is interesting. Watch this. Verse 9, or verse 8, I'm sorry. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourself handfuls of ashes from a furnace, and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. That's unusual, but it's actually symbolic and has a meaning. I'll explain that. And it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt and will cause boils that break out in the sores of man and beast throughout the land of Egypt. So now we call this plague the plague of boils. Okay, the Hebrew is trying to say that these massive boils that come upon their skin, it, it, the Hebrew has a, uh, is connected to the word flame. And so the boils are not just like the chicken pox that itch. These boils have fire associated to them where it's burning them. It's an inflammation. It's so bad on them that they can't move. It incapacitates them. They cannot work the fields. They can't do anything. That's how bad these things are. Again, not life-threatening, but debilitating. He puts them down. Again, the third level of an Egyptian economy is to hit the human beings, and he's taken the human beings out. They can't produce anything anymore. What's the significance of the furnace? What's the significance of Moses going to a furnace, taking the ashes of a furnace, and then casting them into the air in front of Pharaoh? Well, here's a, a furnace in Egypt. Remember, it's an ironic judgment. That furnace represents where they bake the bricks. The furnace represents the slavery of the Hebrews. So they would take those bricks, put them in a the furnace to harden them, and that's what happened. So it became symbolic for the Hebrews' enslavement. Interesting. And don't miss this. What is the symbol of the Holocaust? Did you catch that? It's the furnace. Because what did they do to the Jews? Hitler put them in the furnace and killed millions through the fiery furnace. What was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego put in? Furnace. You see this theme that keeps popping up in Scripture about a furnace? Furnace of affliction, it's called, typically. It's always associated to what people do to the Jews. Interesting. So Moses goes symbolically, God tells him, take the ashes out of the furnace, which is a symbol of your slavery, and throw the ashes in the air. What's that have to do? It has to do with how they worship their gods of medicine. Let me show you these gods of medicine. These were the fallen angels that they worshipped. It was Amenhotep, uh, Toth, Nefertim, Isis, and Sekhmet were the gods of medicine. These are fallen angels. And understand, they could do some things. They had some power. But the Egyptians' medicine was crazy. It was demonic. 
Like I've read some places where part of their medicine was to take a fly dung and use that for medicine. And the people would ingest fly dung. It just made them sicker. Everything the Egyptians did, as far as medicine is concerned, brought no healing, but brought death to the Egyptians. So you didn't want to go to the doctor then. So that's a problem. But here's the deal. Their whole medical industry, don't, don't, don't miss this, was caught up in their ideology, was caught up in their philosophy, was caught up in the very religion. So the medicine industry is connected to demonic activity, if that makes sense. Hmm. And so what you did to worship these gods of medicine, what they did is they would have human sacrifice. And they would put these people and burn them to a crisp in front of everybody. Like the ancient Mayans and, and, and Aztecs who would do human sacrificing. So these guys burned people alive to these gods, to ashes. And so you would have a whole, all the congregation of the Egyptians out there, why this was going on, as they fried somebody. And then what they would do, these Egyptian priests, fully demonic, took the ashes of these dead people and threw them in the air and let those ashes settle on all the people there. How gross is that? The ashes of dead people would just fall on you, and they would see it as a blessing if the ashes came on them. Crazy. Demonic, right? Crazy. But what does God do with the ashes? Moses, take the ashes, throw them in the air, and when the ashes hit them, it's not going to be a blessing. It will be a curse. I will take something that was an abominable thing that they thought was a blessing, and I will turn it into a curse for them. I want you to think about this. Hang with me because I'm going somewhere. This is where we start drilling. Their medical industry, because they trusted it so much, they believed in certain gods over that medical industry. They trusted their medical industry as fouled up as it was. And God is going to hit their medical industry. He's going to show them what their medical industry is all about. He's going to hammer it. If you put faith in your medical industry as a God, I am the only healer. I'm the only protector. I'm the only one that you can get healing from. Not these fallen angels or your crazy whacked out religion. It's through me. Do a parallel. What is happening today is not only is our economy being throttled right now and will continue to be throttled, but God is showing something very curious about our medical industry, isn't he? Have you caught that one? See, back in the old days, everyone trusted doctors. Everyone, you know, okay. And you thought that well, they were educated. They should know better. We're being ran right now as a country by two doctors who are crazy. Fauci and Bricks are out of their minds. And why are they out of their minds? Because they're leftists. They take money from Bill Gates. Fauci and Bricks' organization takes millions of dollars in from Bill Gates, who wants to vaccinate us all. And so our medical industry for the last several decades, if you haven't noticed, has been getting very far left. And now I'm talking about your personal doctor, and please don't take this as, Brandon said not to go to the doctor. No. You go to your doctor, you take your medicines, and you do what you need to do. Understand, though, that the, at the top levels of the medical industry, 
is being ran by functional socialists and communists and Marxists. And that ideology is spilling down and trickling down through all the medical industry to the point where we're seeing right now our medical industry tell us we have to wear a mask when they know it doesn't work. 22 countries in Europe are not even wearing masks. Why am I still wearing a mask at Walmart when the, the cloth masks that I wear allow 100% penetration of air through the sides? Even if I wear one of these medical masks, it allows 44% of the air to go right through them. And now they're saying the coronavirus is an aerosol. So if, if it's an aerosol, it's going right through the mask. It's going through the sides. And yet they still want me to wear a mask when I go to it to eat. What's happening here? It's not medicine. It's politics. Politics have taken over the medical industry. And I guarantee you what's coming next, vaccinations, forced vaccination. And if you don't get the vaccination, you're not going to be able to function in society. Wait a second. Time out. You're going to force vaccinations? Alan Dershowitz says you have no right not to take a vaccination. They, he, Alan Dershowitz said they should plunge a needle right into your arm and you can't say no. Hey, wait a second. I've heard of things like that in China and Russia. What's going on with the medical industry? I'm telling you, what God is doing is shaking the medical industry and what you should see from it is they've been hijacked. Something's not right, especially at the top levels. And again, I'm not talking about your personal doctor because even the local doctors disagree. Like those two guys from Bakersfield, by the way, those guys took a brave stance in doing it because now they're getting death threats and their license is being threatened to be taken away. Pray for them because what I hear is they've met with uh, the group Take Back California and Jack Hibbs Church down south and they're going to get an audience with Trump. And they have the intentions of telling Trump, Fauci and, the, and Bricks and all these other leftists are wrong. Pray for that situation. Pray for Trump to listen to these two guys. I think that's a God thing that they would get an audience with him. Because, folks, it's a political thing. Because now if they can condition you to wear a mask, then I can condition you to take a vaccine. That's where it's going. What is God saying? I'm your healer. I'm your protector. And if you put the medical industry as a god in your life, I'm trying to break you free from that. And again, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying not use medicine, don't take your drugs and, and that the doctors are giving you or whatnot. Go to the doctor. I'm just saying be careful of crossing that line. Thinking like Amer a lot of Americans think, well, he's a doctor. He must know what he's talking about. No, 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 no. They have an agenda. A lot of them have agendas. Just like when you go to the doctor for your kids. You know these doctors are asking questions that have no business asking you. Your kids. And they treat your kid as if you have no parental rights. Your kid goes in there and they start asking sexual questions to your kid. Or they start doing, asking, hey, I'm the parent here. What are you doing? It's the whole agenda of getting the kid away from their parents' authority. Again, that comes from the UN. But our medical industry is now promoting that. You know in high school, your kid can go behind your back without you knowing, go to some principal and get contraceptives and have an abortion, and you never know it's happening. Dude, that's not medicine. That's a, an agenda. And God is showing that right now to everybody. we got to end. Wrap this up, Brandon. Application. It's so irritating. It's so irritating, isn't it? Watch all this junk happen.
The application is to go back to Moses. Moses is, is fighting through that hindrance, and he's pushing through, and he, every day he has to get up and do the same thing. And every day, you're going to have to get out of bed on a Monday morning and do the same thing. Fight your battle every day. It doesn't end. And the hindrance is going to get more and more. And every day you get up and say, i got to fight a battle. i got to fight a battle. Okay, question. Why is it so hard? What is God trying to do by allowing all these hindrances in my life? Because, man, I would like to have an easy road. Give me an illustration and this will make sense. There was a ceramics teacher in high school that had a class. And the new class came in, and he divided the class into two parts. In, in this section of the class, he said, look, guys, I'm going to grade you on one thing and one thing only. In this ceramics class, I'm going to give you the whole semester to make one perfect ceramic pot. You have to figure out how to shape it, and I will grade you on one ceramic pot. Kids like that. Oh, you just have to do one pot. No, but it's got to be perfect, because if it's not perfect, you're going to get an F. This other group on this side, he says, okay, guys, we're going to grade you on quantity. And basically, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an A for making 50 pounds. 40 pounds is a B, 30 pounds is a C. So basically, make all the pots you can, and we're going to weigh them at the end of the semester, and, uh, and then your, your grade will be based on the quantity. This one's quality, this one's quantity, okay? So the semester went on. These guys who were trying to make the perfect pot were navel-gazing about eight, nine weeks. Couldn't figure out, what are we going to do to make a perfect pot? They didn't do anything. They were just navel-gazing. This group started cranking them out day one, making pots, making pots, making pots, making pots, because they got to have the, the, the weight. Curious thing developed, and the, the experiment of the teacher worked very well. Here comes the end of the semester, and he looked at this group who was only able to make one pot, and they had to do it perfectly. And when he looked at the pots they made by these kids, he said, wow, they're disgusting. They're misshapen. They're ugly. You didn't do good. There's cracks in this. There's a hole in this one. And it was a complete disaster. They all got Fs because they couldn't create the right pot. It's all malshaped. Goes to this group, and this group produced the amount of pots they needed to make. Amazing. They had the, they had the A because they produced the pot. But one curious thing came out of it. And this is the lesson. The pots they made at the end of the semester were absolutely beautiful. They were absolutely the right shape. They had all this design to it. And they, the kids had figured out by making multiple, multiple pots how to perfect making a pot through all that practice. And I want you to catch that. What God is trying to do through the hindrances is get you to perfect you making your pots. So in order to make your pots, you're going to stumble. You're going to fail. You're going to have to, well, I've got to try again, try again, try again, try again, and keep shaping the pots till you finally get to the end, and you are able to produce a beautiful pot because you have a string of experience behind you. So what God is doing, he's not asking you to make one perfect pot. He's saying, start making your pots perfect it. Continue to work on the failures until you finally figure out how to make that pot. That's why the hindrances are in your life. That's what the Lord is doing. Amen? Let's pray. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. 
For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.